You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, it is a great privilege to be with you this morning uh, and to be back in Texas. So my wife and I uh, lived in Austin for 10 years, and my wife's from Texas, but our children, we have got five kids. Uh, They're all teenagers now. Uh, but they spent their formative years here in Austin, so it's, uh, it's a special place. It kind of feels like home. Uh, we since moved. We moved up to Canada, where I'm from. So if, if you hear my accent and you're wondering, where, where is this guy from? Uh, my accent is just com- confused. Uh, spent time in North Carolina, in Minnesota, here, and back in Canada. Now we're in Southern California. So we've been all over the place, uh, but I... I grateful to be back here. We miss Texas. I don't miss the heat, so I'm grateful for the, the, the beautiful weather that, uh, that we've had yesterday and today. Uh, so, grateful. Uh, and I'm, I'm really also grateful to be able to open up God's Word and talk about this really important topic, mental health and, and illness. Uh, in our time today, I want to cover three uh, questions. The first is, why talk about mental illness? The second is, what is mental illness, and what does the Bible say about it? And then the third question is, what, what can we do? How can we respond to mental illness in light of the gospel? Okay, so first, why talk about mental illness? Why spend this time? Well, the first reason it, that, that we should talk about it is it impacts everyone. So the, the Center for Disease Control, we've all, we all know the Center for Disease Control very well now because of the pandemic. But the Center for Disease Control says that one in five people will experience a mental illness in a given year. One in five. So out of 100 people in a room, there may be even 100 people here, 20 people will have experienced a mental illness uh, in a given year. They also say more than 50% of people in the United States will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in their lifetime. 50%. 50%. Interestingly, most mental illness is experienced and diagnosed by the age of 25. So this is an issue that gets at the heart of our youth. And as many of us know, just by experience, without maybe even knowing these terms and all that, and we're going to define them, that, that this is real. This, this, this hits close to home. Uh, it, th- these, these issues were getting worse like the issue of suicide and mental health issues were getting worse before COVID. We don't have the figures uh, post-COVID, but you can imagine, uh, and you're going to hear, you can look up, there's articles that are coming out almost daily about how we are in a mental health crisis. And I think that's, that's an apt word to use. Annually, 46,000 people die of suicide in the U.S. every year. So that's 130 people every day. We're, again, we're going to define mental illness uh, further uh, in a bit here, but a large portion of our population, our friends, our family, even, our, even maybe some personally here, are impacted and will be impacted by mental illness. In this room, there's individuals and family members whom this is part of their story. I want to recognize that. We can't ignore, we can't ignore this. 
So I'm thank, thankful for your church taking time to, to focus on this. Uh, the second reason it's important to talk about mental illness is the Bible actually has a lot to say about it. God created us to be physical and spiritual beings. Therefore, when we talk about mental health and illness, whether someone is a believer or not, we're talking about something that relates to God and something that God cares deeply about. I hope you hear that this morning. He's not silent about the disorders that we experience in our body or soul, and neither should we. Sadly, though, the church historically has separated the categories of body and soul. You know, the church and pastors deal with theology, deal with the things of God, and medical professionals and counselors, they deal with the things of, of the body and, uh, and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So the church has been silent about mental health in many ways over these years. Uh, one study showed that only 12% of church leaders said mental illness is discussed openly and in a healthy way in their churches. Mental illness is a category so vast and, and can be so complex that we, we just find it easier to avoid the topic until it creeps into our homes and afflicts those we love most. And in many ways, that's what's been happening, but I believe just by God's providence and, and uh, that, that we, we're seeing it, it, it more more prevalent in our churches, in our homes, in our culture. Like I said, we're, the pandemic has just made it even more prevalent. So the reality is when the church is silent, and this is important, when the church is silent to a person in crisis, it can sound remarkably like silence from God. So this is another reason we don't want to be silent anymore, and I'm so grateful you're not allowing that to be the case for your church. And lastly, the church, I believe, has a great opportunity. So there's a lot of stigma attached to mental illnesses, and that presents a, a real barrier, uh, not only for diagnosis, but treatment uh, and acceptance in a community. Uh, the, the, there's a great opportunity the church has to be a place where people are able to come as they are to experience uh, the, the hope of the gospel. The, the Jesus that says he didn't come for the healthy, but the sick, right? We have a great opportunity to be his body and to be a safe place for those who struggle. You know, the church should be the safest place in our culture for those struggling, right? And that's, that's why it's just been a, a, a huge encouragement to me as a counselor who sees a lot of people who are struggling. And sometimes, sadly, they're in counseling because the church has hurt them. And, and, and that, that happens. But when the church says, no, we want to be a safe place, we want to be a healing place, man, as a counselor, that just brings great joy to my heart. Because uh, life is hard in and of itself, right? Uh, but the church, the people of God, ought to be a safe place, a healing place to encounter hope even not, not just for spiritual problems, but our physical problems as we're going to see. So now let me answer, answer the second question. What is mental illness and what does the Bible say about it? So as we answer this question, my, my prayer as I've been preparing for this is that we'll, you will leave here with a better understanding of what God thinks about our mental health 
and illness, and also, maybe more importantly, a greater compassion for ourselves and those around us. That's been my prayer. We would just be in awe of God's love for us and his compassion for us holistically, and then that would encourage us to love one another even more deeply. Because I believe you're going to see that God cares deeply, more than anyone, about our mental health, and that there's great hope. As God's children, we want our thinking to be aligned with his. So to start, I think it's helpful to define some terms. Uh, and then we're going to look at what God says and put it in the context of, of the gospel. So I've used these terms, mental health and mental illness, because those terms are often interchangeably used. Uh, but I think it's helpful to make a delineation between mental health and mental illness. So I would say, think of mental health as a state of well-being or a spectrum of wholeness when it comes to how we think and feel. And this is, this is 100% of us. 100% of us in this room deal with mental health. There's, there's some, some days we wake up sad, some days we wake up happy, and there's a whole spectrum of health and, 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 and wholeness in terms of our sense of our well-being, our purpose in life, and, and that sort of thing. That's our mental health. We're all on that spectrum. That's 100% of us. But what is mental illness? Again, it's helpful here, I think, to see that mental illness is a brain and body disorder that disrupts a person's thinking and feeling and their ability to relate to others and their daily functioning. I'll say that again. Mental illness is a brain and body disorder that disrupts a person's thinking and feeling and their ability to relate to others and daily functioning. You'll find mental illness is listed in what's called the DSM. It's the big book that counselors have and use. It's about almost 900 pages long. Uh, DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Uh, It's the authoritative and exhaustive reference manual for mental health professionals. Uh, It includes detailed descriptions and explanations of mental disorders, including things like depression, anxiety, narcissism, treatable bipolar disorders, things that we're, we're, if you read the news, you hear these words, you hear these terms, and these are described in in the DSM. Uh, It's helpful, it's a book of descriptions and not prescriptions, but what what the DSM lists as mental illnesses or disorders affect 20 to 25% of the population, right? One in five people would find that what they're dealing with is listed in the DSM. Now, as Christians, we can say, well, but that's a worldly way of describing these issues. And we can do that, but I think God gives us the ability to look at common grace insights and and find wisdom and help in these descriptions. And we're going to look here at what God says. But but another category that I think is helpful that affects 4% of the population are serious mental illnesses. And this is a topic that many churches really don't talk about at all. In fact, a lot of counselors don't even deal with these things. Because if you, if you, if you go to most counselors and counseling centers, the things that counselors are dealing with are anxiety, depression, kind of the everyday generalized struggles like, like those. But when, when we're talking about serious mental illness, we're talking about things that significantly impair life, like schizophrenia, severe bipolar, and severe major depressive struggles. 
Symptoms can include hallucinations, delusions, mania, paranoia, the inability to control your own thinking. These are real struggles that people in our, in our world, even in our church and families in our church, have family members that are struggling with. And again, as I said earlier, the church is a great opportunity to minister. But this is, these are hard ones. These are really difficult difficult issues, and so it's easier to, to, to not talk about it, right? Again, it's amazing. Even in the counseling world, the counselors will often not know what to do with these issues or say, I, I, I just, I'm going to refer to someone, to an, uh, someone who's even more specialized in these areas because it's complex. It's very complex. So what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? How do we understand this from God's perspective? If you have your Bible, you can look at Gen- right in the beginning in Genesis. That's where we're going to look. We could look at a bunch of different places, but I, I want to start in the beginning. And here we're going to see God, the story of God creating the first man and woman. So you, we read, in the beginning, God created us perfectly for a perfect relationship with himself, with one another and the world around us. Genesis 1, verse 26, um, we see that we have great vig- dignity and value being made in the image of God. I said, let us make man in our image. Genesis 2, 16, we're not alone, we have relationship. In Genesis 2, 15, we have great significance and purpose. We're called to work and tend the garden. And then we're also physical, right? Again, we tend the garden. There, there's, God created us as souls and bodies, and that's really important. We're, we're going to come back to that throughout this, that God, God made us to be embodied souls, not just souls with bodies, but embodied souls that, that he physically relates to us. You just think about Jesus. Jesus had a body, and Jesus still today in heaven has a body. Bodies are an important part of who we are. So we'll come back to that, but God... but. Man rebelled against God. As we know, Adam and Eve didn't trust God's word and decided to become their own gods, in a sense, and their own masters of their own destiny. Adam and Eve, they wanted to know what God knew and become like him. In this, they they shifted their trust from God to themselves, and we call this the fall. And quite a fall it was, if if you think about it, from the glory of a perfect relationship with God and one another to alienation and shame. And so we see they saw and they were naked. There was, they, were, they were no longer innocent. Shame, sin, brokenness, and disorder entered Eden, entered the human experience. So before, where all things were ordered and whole, they were now disordered and fragmented. And what was the result of this? We read about what happened here in Genesis 3. So it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then it goes on in verse 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, or 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock 
and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. In Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the gospel, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. So here we see sin and suffering enters the world and is a reality we were not created for. We were not created for this. Where there was perfect order in relationships and creation, now there's disorder at every level in every relationship, both body and soul. And we're not, we weren't created to handle that. So I wanna, I wanna point out a couple things because this gives us a picture of, of our experience and, and, and where we can locate what, what we, how we think about mental illness. So a couple things I want to note here. God, first thing that is broken is their relationship with God. They hid from God's presence among the trees. This is the first existence and worst game of hide and seek that the world has ever known. It was futile, like kind of almost silly to think that they could hide from God there in Genesis 3.8. But we see here that their relationship with God was seriously altered. There's a spiritual death that they experience. The world, the flesh, the devil became a louder voice in their lives than God's. That's the first relationship that is broken. The second is the relationship with themselves. The relationship with themselves is broken both spiritually and physically. Sin impacts both body and soul. We experience pain and physical brokenness. So we see that we experience physical death in verses 16 and 17. You see the pain that comes because of the fall. And then in verse 19, it points to the fact that we die now. We're, we're, we're mortal. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, they'd live forever. They'd live forever. That's what God created us for. And that's what God, Jesus is redeeming us for, isn't it? To live forever again. And to not die in our sin. But here we see de- physical death enters the human condition and physical brokenness. These bodies that were once jars of glory are now jars of clay. These bodies of ours. Just to think about this, the neurons in our brain, once fired perfectly, with perfect precision, the neurons in our brain, once fired perfectly, they they now misfire and are disconnected. As a result of the fall, our body's chemistry and physics and the electricity in our body are all disordered. So our bodies are not working. Our hearts and soul is not in right relationship with God, but our bodies are now disconnected and don't work the way they were supposed to work. And anybody that is hit 40 years old really understands this, right? I'm 45. You might not think it. There's some gray hair here. I've got all teenagers, but man, like, 
It's true. You hear that growing up in your 30s, people in their 40s make these jokes. And, they're so, and you're like, yeah, what, oh yeah, whatever. Now I know. I'm like, oh yeah. That's what he's talking about. I got, I got one of those, uh, my, my, I was going to the chiropractor. And my chiropractor used one of those massage guns. And I was like, oh, that, that's really cool. He's like, oh yeah, you can get it on Amazon. And so I looked it up right there. It was the worst thing he could have told me because I bought one of those things and I haven't gone back to my chiropractor since. <laughs> I'm telling you, that thing has been amazing. I use it like almost every day on my back. But we get old. Our bodies do not work the way they're supposed to. And our brains don't work the way they're supposed to. Our brain's ability to process our thoughts and emotions are affected by the fall. We have a weakness that we all are familiar with and all experience in unique ways. Another category, and I think there's a, there should be an image there in the, the slides that sort of pictures this. Um, so you can see that our relationship with God. At the heart there is our soul and our body and that other circle there with culture, people, work, sickness is the world and the relationships that we live among. So the, our experience with, with culture, people, work, sickness is another thing that we experience that a brokenness in. You know, Adam and Eve, what did they do right after the fall happened? After they disobeyed God, they hid from God, but they also hid from each other, right? They put the fig leaves over themselves. They saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. They hid from one another. They tried to cover over their nakedness and what they had done. We still do the same thing, don't we? Just all kinds of ways we cover ourselves and hide from each other, put on our different personas and costumes. This is encouraging. It began right here. But they also, they covered, they hid from each other. They blamed each other Verses 12 and 13 in Genesis 3. The man blamed the woman and the woman blamed Satan. They, blamed, they both blamed others. So there's an enmity that we, and a brokenness in relationship that we experience. A, a sin against one another we experience towards and, 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 and from. There's a wound. We all have wounds. We all have wounds in our life from the brokenness that comes through relationships. God created us to experience perfect security and safety and significance in our relationship with him, but also in our relationship with one another. And, and, and that's just been broken. My wife and I, with, like I said, we have five kids. Four of our kids are adopted. We've been involved in the orphan care, foster care, adoption world for a long time. And through that, God introduced me to the reality of trauma and abuse and neglect and the impact that that has on our development. Uh, not only the way we understand and learn how to relate to one another, but just even our physical development is, is broken because of the broken relationships. God designed us, it's incredible. God designed us to have a mom and a dad who nurture and love us and provide that security and safety that we were created for in him. And when we don't have that, man, the brokenness that comes from that is profound. And then there's the world uh, that we're also at odds with. The devil, spiritual warfare, just work, as you saw in that uh, diagram there. 
this life is hard. This life, the world is fallen and brings suffering into our lives on a daily basis, right? It's, if we're, if we're honest, it's just, it's hard. I, I see more people in counseling now, especially in these last few years with COVID, that's just brought even more difficulty. Life was hard before a worldwide pandemic. How much more difficult is it now? In some ways, it's just revealed what was already present, the struggles that were present. We just couldn't hide it anymore. It's hard or more difficult to hide from one another. So, so in all these relationships, we see the impact of, of the fall, the brokenness in our spiritual life and the brokenness in our physical experience. We see here a sort of x-ray of the human life. And this, I believe, gives us a helpful picture to understand why, how we have great dignity being still made in the image of God, but also why we experience such disorder such brokenness. And this is, why, so this is why we struggle. This is why, we, why there's broken brains and bodies and hearts. And, and this is important for our understanding of mental health and Ill, illness. Uh, as we recognize that we're body and soul people and there's an interplay between the two. And this is where it, it, can, it can be hard because the church, as a church, we... we Historically, we've had a tendency to overemphasize the spiritual part over the body part. We have a tendency to overemphasize the heart over the body, as if that's the more important part. Like, we have to put up with our bodies, but the real important stuff is the stuff of the spirit. But the reality is, you don't have a body, you are a body and a soul. It's important to remember that. Again, Jesus has a body. That's part of being made in the image of God. We're embodied souls, not souls with bodies. And there's a beautiful, I call a beautiful complexity to this. Uh, and, and, and we have a hard time with complexity, I find. I do, at least. I like simple things. I like, I like to, you know, when things are understandable. And so we all, I think, have this tendency to reduce everything to categories we can understand. So it, when it comes to the body-soul relationship, we tend to either make everything physical or everything spiritual. It just it helps us to understand things and feel like we're in a little bit more control. The reality is, though, it is more complex than we often like it to be. So think about it this way. The brain acts as a bridge between our spiritual and physical worlds. The, our brains act as a bridge between our physical and spiritual worlds, our soul and our body, in a way that no other body part does. So it makes it difficult to make clear distinctions between what is spiritual and what is physical. And to, to make it more complex, the, the brain is the, is the most complex organ in our body. And you, you listen to anyone uh, who studies the brain they are amazed because they know so little. They know so little of, of exactly how the brain functions. It's quite amazing. It'll cause you, it, it, it causes me to worship when I listen to these guys and read the books and research uh, because even those who don't believe in God, but they, they look at the brain, they go, this is amazing. There's 86 billion neurons in the brain. It's just, it just, it points to God points to the fact that the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so, 
But the reality is that it makes it complex when, when, when we look at the interplay between the body and the soul. And so there, there are a lot of issues in our life. Mental illness, I believe, is a physical issue that can be impacted by spiritual issues. But it's not all spiritual like we can sometimes make it to be. And that's really important. We need to recognize the physical reality. Most people, the challenge with mental illness is it, it, it's, it can oftentimes be a physical illness just like cancer, but it's different in that it, we don't see it. We don't, we don't think of it the same way, right? Or a broken, a broken arm, a broken leg, we see that. We, we look at that and we have compassion on somebody because we see that there's a physical uh, brokenness there. There's a physical illness with cancer, diabetes, whatever it might be. With mental illness, it, because there's a complexity with it, we often are confused and we don't know what to do with it. And, and, and a lot of times, sadly, we treat it like a spiritual issue. When, when it, it very well, and in many cases, is a physical issue. And so this is where we have to have a lot of compassion and grace and be willing to enter into the complexity. Right? Because if we begin to give spiritual solutions to physical problems, we're gonna, we, and this happens all the time, we, just, we add more pain and more wounding and more hurt to someone who's already struggling. Right? Now imagine, and this happened in the Bible, there was a man who was born blind and the, what, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, well, Jesus, this man, he's been born blind. In John 9, who sinned? Who sinned? They tried to connect this physical issue to a spiritual problem. And Jesus said, no one, would, no one sinned. This was so that God would get glory. And we have to be very careful that we, we, we don't look at somebody with a mental illness and say, well, what's the sin? Where do they need to repent and go there? We need to be careful not to go there first. Step back and... and, and, and be willing to enter into the complexity and, and recognize the, the reality that God has made us body and soul. And, and there are many things that are body issues that, that, uh, that, that we need to care for and have a great opportunity to care for in the people around us. Ed Welch says it this way. I think this is helpful. He says, your body and brain are you, and they shape and influence both your feelings and thoughts. But your heart goes deeper. Here are your true desires, where you direct the course of your life. Here's where God gives life, even when your body and brain are weakened or broken. Here's where peace, comfort, and hope can reside, even during the complicated storms of life, or even storms of the brain and body. Here's where your God speaks to everything. So there is a priority given to the deepest part of us, but not to the exclusion of the physical. This is where we, again, we can get confused because there is this priority, but that priority also is good news for us, right? Because it says, even if we're physically broken in the brain and, and, and our brain creates chaos in our life and it's, a, and it's a physical experience for us, there's still hope because that doesn't define us. That doesn't define us. This helps us develop categories in the church for people around us and ourselves. And when we know why we experience this brokenness, like mental illness in our world, in our own minds, we can begin to have compassion. 
So this way, as best as we can understand this, it leads to us to have compassion. Because it humbles us to know that, that no one is exempt from this brokenness. It humbles us to know that there, there's not always an easy answer and an easy solution. Right? And I think we need a lot more humility in the church these days, especially when it comes to this. Those who are, you think about it this way too, those who are mentally healthy are walking miracles given how prone we are to anxiety and depression and all the, all the sickness of soul and body that we can experience. This is God's common grace. Uh, it, it also helps us realize just how we're all in need of help. We're all, we're all dependent more than we realize more than we realize, we all need help. Remember, Jesus came not for the righteous, but for the sick. So lastly, what do we do? In light of all this, how do we respond to mental illness in light of the gospel? Uh, what, I wanna look just briefly, what does God do in response? And, and here's where we can learn a lot about God and how he would have us respond as well. So the first thing we see in Genesis 3, I'm looking at Genesis right after the fall, Adam and Eve fell, and they hid from him. What does God do? So Adam and Eve are hiding from God. They're hiding from each other. And what does God do? Well, he takes the initiative. He comes to them and says, where are you? And then God is restoring wholeness to all things, body and soul, physical and spiritual. We see that Genesis 3.15 points to Jesus coming and, and Jesus renewing and restoring all things. And he's patient. God is patient. So he takes the initiative. He restores and redeems and heals spiritually and physically. And he is patient. I think one of the places I see this is in Romans 8. And I want to read it. It's because I think there's so much hope in Romans 8. And I want you to notice not just the spiritual realities of Romans 8, but the physical realities in Romans 8 here. So we know Romans 8 starts with, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? Death, spiritual and physical. God's gonna resurrect our bodies. And then I wanna read from Romans 8, starting in verse 18. Says, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, physical, right? Until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Or do you see the connection between this, this interplay, and beautiful complexity of the spiritual and physical coming together here? For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for, the, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And this is beautiful. Likewise, the Spirit helps us 
in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Have you ever suffered so much physically or spiritually that you didn't even know how to pray? You just you didn't, couldn't come up with the words to pray? Just, it's too much, it's too hard. And then sadly, sometimes we feel guilty because that we feel like we're not being spiritual enough. And maybe people are encouraged, well, just pray more, pray more. This verse is for you, for us. It says, we don't know, we've, we suffer in the spirit, in our weakness. And I think, again, thinking about mental illness here, the way we can be physically broken, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you hear what he's saying here? You know when you're suffering and you're struggling and you don't have those words and all you can do is groan? That's all that, that, all that you're able to do? And maybe you feel like you're the worst Christian ever because all you're doing is groaning on, in your bed? What this is saying is that might actually be the most spiritual prayer you've ever prayed because it's the Spirit in you praying through you to the Father with those groanings that are too deep for words. That's, that gives us hope. Because I don't know about you, if you've suffered, if you've been so over, overwhelmed by the physical brokenness of this world and, or, and your body and soul, what hope do you have? What hope do we have? Well, this is the gospel. God does what we cannot do. God provides what we cannot give ourselves. That's the gospel. It's not pray more, do more, serve more, believe more even. It's Jesus. Jesus has done what you cannot do. That's such hope for those with mental illness, those serious mental illness, mental illness, mental health, whatever, wherever we are on the spectrum this is our hope. This is our hope. And, and, and again, we don't have to fear wherever we are on the spectrum because, again, this is our hope. And then it says, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So he prays in us, for us, in our place, and prays for us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We often think about, when we think about suffering, Romans 8.28 and 8.29, don't we? And those are good verses. Those are good, that's, that's a truth we need to hear. God loves us and works all things together for us. But sometimes we need to start in verse 26 and 27 before we get to verse 28 and 29. Sometimes we have, to, we have to groan and experience that ministry of the Holy Spirit praying through us and for us before we can get to a point where we can really believe Romans 8, 28. And I don't know, how, sometimes that, is that, how long does that take, that, that journey from Romans 8, 26 to 8, 28? We can give each other that space to do that. That's my encouragement. 
our hearts and our bodies may be broken, but God mends and meets us in our suffering. He's patient. He's patient. Uh, God, could, God, could mend, God could heal us in an instant. You think about that? God could perfect us, take away all disorder, all brokenness in an instant because one day he's going to do that. He's going to do that. But he chooses in his infinite wisdom to do his work of restoration over time. It's progressive. And that's a mystery we have to to trust God with. Why, God? Why? I, I often feel this way. I often feel like, God, I think you would get more glory if you would just heal this person, if you would just do this, if you would change the situation, God is infinitely more wise. And so we can, want, we, we, we can cry out, we can grow, and, we can, and there needs to be space to lament why must we suffer in this way. But we do that knowing and coming back again and again to the hope that we have that God, God is wise. And that's a hard thing, but, but we, that's why we groan. He will complete what he's begun in Christ. He is reconciling all things in Christ, Colossians 1.20. Nothing's outside of his promise to make all things new, body and soul. So lastly, finally, what can we do? In light of this, what, do we, what can we do? So three things to close. First, because God takes the initiative to enter into our disorder and pain, we can join him in that. We can take initiative to reach out to those around us that are hurting. We don't have to fear uh, because this is complex, because we don't understand this. We can reach out. What those struggling need most is community. And if you're not struggling, you will one day struggle. Right? If you're not suffering right now, here's the, this is helpful to remember and to think of, like, you're, you are human, too, and you're prone, and you, you may end up in the place that your neighbor is today. And so we can have great humility, and remember, we, God's made us to live in relationship with each other, and we need each other. We need support. Those struggling with mental health, mental illness, need support. They need to know they're not alone. Not just those who struggle, but even the families. That are, that, that so often, the fam, there's families in the church that, that have family members, children, sons, parents that for years have struggled with mental illness, and they feel so alone. And one of the, I think that's one of the first places the church can, can begin to minister is to those families. To be a church that is a safe place to struggle and to be seen, not as one defined by our struggle, but by the Spirit. So counseling, therapy, and medication, practical help are critical and helpful. What we need underneath and through all that is the presence of, of others, presence of somebody who cares. So you might not be a counselor. You might not know how to even speak to whatever is happening, but you can be present, and you can be a learner with them. You can, you can be a fellow struggler with that person, with your neighbor, with your friend, with that family. And that means a lot, I'll tell you. That means so much. Just somebody, somebody asking, tell me your story. 
I, 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 you mentioned in, in small group about a family member that, that is struggling with mental illness. Like, can you tell me about that? Be a learner. Man, just talking about it is a ministry. Because again, people f- feel that. They're like, nobody wants to talk about this because it, it's so complex and it's, it's messy. And can we even invite, like, we, can I invite that family member to church? Are they going to be welcome? You know, when you start opening the doors and talking about this, that is, that is one of the risks is that you become a safe place to, to talk about and to welcome in the struggling and those dealing with mental illness. It's, it's hard. It's hard. But that's what God, God has made us for. It's number one. Number two, we can offer the hope and comfort of Christ spiritually and practically. Right? Spiritually and practically. We can learn from God and his people, and, and we can learn from others with experience. So we want to have God's perspective on this. We want to remember that though things may not change in this life, they will change. God is restoring all things. We want to remember that we are body and soul people. And so we don't offer platitudes or spiritual answers to physical problems. We want to be, aware, we be careful of, of promoting a prosperity, emotional prosperity gospel. We're good at, at, at kind of putting aside a financial prosperity gospel, but sometimes we can be guilty of this, what I call emotional prosperity gospel. If you just like, believe in Jesus more, if you just you know, read your Bible and obey, you'll, you're, you'll feel better and, and you'll, you'll be healed in a sense. In reality, sometimes depression lasts. There's, sometimes that physical issue doesn't, doesn't go away, isn't healed. But one day it will be. So we can also, so we offer that hope, but we can also listen and learn from others who have experience with mental illness. Uh, these sources can be friends, therapists, doctors, reliable materials. I think it's, it's helpful. I believe it's helpful to, to hear from others who have experience in this. It's helpful to, to even hear the words OCD and bipolar disorder, borderline, these categories, because in them we can identify something for which we previously had no words. It might, they often bring a measure of relief as they describe, not prescribe, but they describe the struggle. You feel, I'm, that's me. I'm not alone. We finally un- feel understood. And it's really hard to do anything until you put words to, our, to your experience. And that can be the beginning of getting help. Uh, we can also practically help those struggling uh, by by helping them get the resources they need. So covering the cost, that's a big barrier for people dealing with mental illness, as the cost of counseling, of therapy, of treatment. That's a great way for the church to help. Um, NAMI, the National Association of Mental Illness, they have a local chapter here. They're a great resource if you've got more questions on how do I practically support a family member or somebody they're not a, a Christian organization, but they've got great resources. And we don't have to fear that we, we, can, we can benefit from the common grace 
uh, and, the, and, and, and the help that, that, that they give because they're living in this world and, and we can learn from them. So finally, finally, in Christ, we can be patient. We can be patient and, this, and we need patience. The struggle is real in our own lives and for, for many around us uh, and caring for our brothers and sisters suffering from mental illness is often a lifelong commitment to a ministry of presence. It's a lifelong commitment. It's, you, we can't go into to this as a ministry uh, that's going to be quick and, and efficient. It's, it is going to be for life. And that, isn't that the church, though? It's like we're committing not just for a season, but we're, we're, like a, we're a family. And, you know, like a, a family is like we're together for life, whether you like it or not. <laughs> like we're, we're stuck we're stuck together, and there's a sense in which in the church, that's so true. We're stuck together. And it can be hard sometimes, but really, at the end of the day, that's what we need. We need people who are stuck with us because we're family, and, we're, and they're not going to go away. They're not going to give up. And that's, that's one of the most healing things in life is the ministry of the presence of others and ultimately the presence of Jesus. So though this world is... There's a complexity of brokenness, of body and soul. Here's our hope, that Jesus rescues us, body and soul, with his perfect body and soul. We're not defined by the condition of our body or our souls, but by his perfection. I'm going to say this this way. We're not defined by our disorder or illness or even our health. We're not defined by our disorders, whatever those might be, or our health. Here's the good news. We're defined and saved by Christ. That's the good news. That's the good news. When we feel totally disordered and broken, that's the gospel. We hope in him for provision and his presence in the midst of our troubles. Therefore, we can be patient. We can be patient in long-suffering and ultimately, our suffering in this life is meant to make us groan for the life to come when all creation will be set free from corruption and we will to body and soul. Uh, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you care so deeply for us. Uh, we don't understand uh, everything we uh, often feel overwhelmed, the storms of life around us and the storm of the life within us, in our own brains and our own bodies can be overwhelming. But thank you, thank you that you see us. You have a plan for us. You are restoring us. And in the midst, as we wait for that final day of healing and restoration, we know you are with us. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, who, who is our hope in the midst of uh, what can feel like, like it is hopeless. So we look to you, Jesus. We thank you. We love you. And I pray for those here today who are struggling. I pray for those who know someone who's struggling that you would encourage, you would bring comfort, you would bring hope. Now, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.